we are still in Proverbs. And uh, we, I want to ask uh, a few questions here to start out. Um, true, true or false? So, true or false? Hard work, like a good hard work, work ethic. Hard work is a positive Christian virtue. True or false? True. True. Okay. So, we, um, that was kind of a dumb question because who's going to say false, right? Um, but but what, I, what, I wanna, what I want to try and communicate this morning is that while we, while, while, Scripture and Proverbs and the wisdom of God we've been talking about kind of uh, it has a lot of practical application, of course, but we usually think of um, the, the wisdom of God as containing just overtly spiritual things, right? That we, we're, we're, we're applying spiritual principles to our spiritual life, and it's going and it affects our. Um, eternal destination, our eternal trajectory, but, but very rarely does it become applicable to who we are as people. Now, listen, I believe, um, and it's my, my goal as a preacher, and I, sometimes we hit the mark and sometimes we miss it, is that um, the Word of God is practical. Uh, the Word of God, if, 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 not, if not transforming your heart and life, if not molding and maintaining a character of Jesus in your life, then, um, then, it, then it holds no power for us, right? If the Word of God is merely an intellectual pursuit that, that we just, we search it out and seek it out so we become more spiritually sp- smart, but um, no more applicably wise, then it's really, it makes no, makes no difference for us. Uh, and, and I believe that uh, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the virtue of being a hard worker. Of being, of being someone who values hard work. Um, now, not all the time do I do this, but I'm going to give you my, like, my three main points here right in the beginning, and then we're going to trail back to them. Um, okay, so point number one is this. <coughs> that work, our work, whether you're, you know, whether you work for the county or UPS or you're a plumber or you work, you know, what, whatever you do, you're a pastor, you sell insurance, you're an engineer, you know, like whatever it is that you do, work is one way that you and I can bring value to the world around us. But listen, but it is not the thing that brings or defines our value. It is a way in which we bring value to the world around us, but it is not the thing that defines your value. Number two, laziness, which is perhaps um, a more, um, a, a bigger category in Proverbs than even hard work, but, but laziness is when you and I, or anyone, chooses short-term comfort over long-term reward. And we'll talk about that 
here in a little bit, but laziness is when we choose short-term comfort over long-term reward. It's not a good thing um, in Proverbs or in Scripture in general. Being a lazy person or choosing short-term comfort over long-term reward is not a virtue or a characteristic that we want to develop. And number three, how we work. The nature of our work. Our work ethic is never just a representation of us personally, but rather who or what we represent. Like, yeah, I just kind of go to my job and I just kind of, you know, go through the day and just trying to survive and get through it and and I'm, then I'm home. It never, our work never only um, represents us personally. It always represents, it always speaks to a deeper level of who or what we represent. Okay? So, now we're going to go back through um, each of these. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about them. So if I can have um, point number one back the screen that work is one way that we can bring value to the world around us, but it is not the thing that defines our value. This is perhaps um, the, I would say, one of the most important things that we must understand about our work, about the things, uh, about the things that we set to do. Think about, think about what you do when you meet someone. All right. You meet someone for the first time. There are typically um, two questions that are the first out of your mouth when you're getting to know someone or you're meeting them for the first time. The first is what? What's your name? Right? What's your name? What is almost always the second question you ask? What do you do? Right? What do you do for a living? Now, why? Why is name first and then what do you do for a living second? It's because we've been fairly conditioned throughout our lifetime and in our culture to um, define or, or, or ascribe identity to someone largely based on what they do. Hey, what do you accomplish? What do you, what do you accomplish in life, right? What, what is it, like, you know, at the end of the day, what... What, 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 have you, what have you done? So much of what we define as a person's identity is kind of wrapped up not in who that person actually is, who they are on the inside, but, but simply what they do eight hours, ten hours, whatever, a day, 40 hours a week. Somehow, um, we've gotten something crisscrossed in all of that. And so, and so we, 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 tend to, we tend to ascribe that, that same ideal upon ourselves. That if we're not satisfied with the thing that we do 40 hours a week, then we're not satisfied with who we are. With, with who God has made us to be. But listen, before you did anything of value. You were something of value. 
before you did anything that had any value whatsoever to the world, to the marketplace, to your boss, to a consumer, to a customer, before you did anything of value, you were something of value. The question that we need to ask is, where does value come from? Does value come from how I define my, like, my worth or what I do or what I provide? Where does value come from? Now, um, I have um, this little table and chair up here. And um, it's a pretty rudimentary example of a kid's table and chair. And it's made, uh, this is made entirely out of um, just old pallet wood, stuff you had laying around. And this is made entirely out of um, like leftover half inch plywood, right? And in, let's see, in 2012, seven years ago, um, in, I don't know if it was in haste or what, I ran out to my garage and gathered up a bunch of wood and I put that together for Noah's, was it birthday or Christmas? Christmas. He was our only child at that point, you know, and so you had, uh, you had time to do Pinteresty like projects like that. Um, but he needed a little, you know, like table and chair to sit and read at and play Legos on and, and everything. And so, um, you know, if you were to see this at a yard sale, you know, it's dirty and dinged up and not well built and not good material, right? It is just, it is what it is. You might, you know, I might have $5 on it and you'd probably heckle me down and take it away for two, Right? Um, and so to a person who does not have a connection to the item, the value is greatly diminished. Greatly, greatly diminished. Right? But the thing is, is that you might heckle about the price if you had to buy it. Right? But you could not heckle me down about the value. Because price and value are two totally different things. You see, I value the table and the chair because I created it for a really specific purpose. You don't set the value. You might heckle about the price, but I set the value because I'm the one that created it. Our value is not set by anyone or anything else other than the one who has created us. Only Value can only be placed by the one who has created. Whether it is a small table, an old chair made out of plywood, 
or uh, whether this was a fine piece of furniture made out of black walnut that you would love to put in your home. The only thing that can ascribe value to something is the one who creates it. And here, even in this, is, is even deeper, is that a thing, you and I do not even have the ability, nor do we have the right to ascribe value to ourselves. We can't say, I am less valuable than so-and-so because they are a doctor and I work at, in a factory. Because value is not defined even by how I feel or what my, what my, what my um, inner sense of worth is. It is only and ever defined by the one who has created us. Number two, laziness is when we choose short-term comfort over long-term reward. I think everyone, I, well, man, not everyone, maybe just me, right? I see this, like, um, all the time in my own life or even in my, my kid's life, you know, as kids are growing and maturing and developing their own sense of the world uh, um, around them. You know, like my um, poor Noah. Noah's in all the sermons, and he's not even here to defend himself. Um, but uh, so... Noah, when he's motivated to do something, can do it um, really quickly and really efficiently and really well. And so one of Noah's like, most favorite things to do is um, to watch Minecraft on TV. Okay? And, um, and we, don't, we don't like to have the TV on a whole lot in, uh, in our house. And so Noah has two opportunities during the week to watch Minecraft on a... Wednesday night um, and on a Friday night. Those are, the only, those are, those are his, his time, right? And so he, um, he gets an opportunity to earn the privilege of watching TV, and he also gets the opportunity to lose the privilege of watching TV on either of those two nights. And like most kids like most kids do, when there is a task that um, there's given a time frame in order to do, without a good sense of motivation about what the reward is for that task, or if it's like on a, for instance, a Sunday afternoon and he doesn't have TV until Wednesday evening, he's not going to be super motivated right now to get the things done that are necessary for him to earn that TV time on a Wednesday because in the span of an eight-year-old's life, four days away is like an eternity, right? But if it was Wednesday at dinner time, he would get everything done 
super, super quick, right? Because, the, because there is a, a reward right in front of him. Whereas Sunday afternoon, like, the kind of the benefit of just, you know, laying on the couch or playing with Legos rather than cleaning up, it's not, it's not as intense enough for him, to motivate him. And, and that's really what, in the grand scheme of things, um, laziness really is. In fact, like I said at the beginning, that Proverbs has probably more to say on the attitude of laziness than it does specifically about the virtue of hard work. And one of the, one of the terms that it uses to describe a person who has a lazy attitude, I'm going to start calling people this when they're being lazy, is it calls them a sluggard. Laziness is a, a, a lazy person is called a sluggard. If we look at, uh, in, in Proverbs, we see Proverbs, for instance, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. A sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest time, they look, but they find nothing. Now remember, we're talking about laziness as the attitude that um, short-term, you prefer short-term comfort over long-term reward. And here, Proverbs is describing a lazy person or a sluggard as someone who does not plow in season. So at harvest time, he looks, but he finds nothing. Farmer, we have a little bit of a garden. And I know how much work that is, right? And so when we're talking about, like, plowing fields and growing, like, legitimate crops and getting ready for a season that is not yet coming. Like, I, I understand that, that the level of hard work that goes, that goes into that is significant. Hard, hard, hard work. Right? And I got to imagine that most farmers, even those who would be, who are incredibly hardworking, and the vast majority of them are, could probably, could probably choose or want to do something else during the plowing and planting season rather than plowing and planting. Because if they're like most people, they probably have other things on their to-do list that they would like to do. Right? But, but they know, they have this understanding that now is the season to plow and plant. Because if I don't plow and plant now, if I don't, if I don't say goodbye, right, to the allure of short-term comfort, the allure of resting, the allure of putting my feet up, the allure of just relaxing and not doing anything, that when the time comes where harvest is upon me, I'm going to look around, I'm going to have a need, but because I chose short-term comfort, I receive no long-term reward. 
that there, that there is something now that is missing in my life because at another point in my life, I decided, I did not have the perspective to understand that what I do now doesn't just affect what I do now. That what I do now affects what reward or blessing or non-reward and non-blessing I experience in the future. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 5 says something similar. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful one. Listen, there is there is eternal wisdom, right? And 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 we can talk we can talk about this in many different facets of life. Remember, um, we, we, we are choosing to draw some practical application out of the book of Proverbs in this series, but, but, but understand there are some deeply spiritual dynamics also working within these same words. There is wisdom in working right now for things that will not yet be realized until a future time. There is, there is wisdom at, uh, at planting seeds in the soil of life with the perspective to know that while it may take some work in the relative short term of your life, that the long term reward and blessing that you will experience will far outweigh the short-term comfort that you experienced by trying to escape that reality. I, don't, I think you probably see this most often when you, um, maybe when you have like a, a two, two examples maybe, raising kids is exactly like this, right? Or so I'm told. <laughs> Got an eight-year-old, so I'm crossing my fingers, praying to the Lord, Right? Um, doing, doing my best to um, deny myself the short-term comfort of allowing my kids and my family to just coast through life without a lot of intentional or directed leadership over them. And it would be easy for them to, to just kind of like uh, subcontract out their character and spiritual and moral development to their teachers and to their kind of kids' workers and to their friends' parents and all of these things. Like, well, well, you know, I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope that, hope that everyone else did a great job at, at, at uh, planting seeds of spiritual growth within my kids. Or I can say, you know what? It is no one's responsibility to raise my kids except who? Me. God did not give them to their Sunday school teachers. God did not give them to their teachers. God gave them to me. And that means that God thinks I am the best person to raise them, period. And that means I, I need to stop for a brief moment and say the short term, the comfort that I would get in letting others kind of really guide the life of my children and 
just entrusting them to other people because I don't know what I'm doing, right, will not produce the long-term reward and blessing that God has designed for your kids because he gave them to you as their parents and no one else. You can also see this example of like uh, in anyone ever had a really unexpected expense in their household? Like, whew, like washer dryer, poops the bed, you got five kids, and um, you got some laundry to do, right? Yeah, <laughs> we, we, I mean, I'll tell you, we do six or seven loads of laundry a day. That's normal. That's to keep up, okay? Um, six or seven a day. And so when washer or dryer goes down, like, it's a big deal. <laughs> you, get, you get behind really quick, right? And if as, a, um, if as a person you decide that you would rather enjoy the comfort and entertainment and excitement of spending every dime that you have of every paycheck rather than saying, you know, there is wisdom behind saving a portion, saving a portion, saving a portion, saving a portion, because it's not if, right, the harvest season comes. It's when the harvest season comes. I want to be able to look around my field and say, yeah, I have the crops to provide for my family. I have the crops to, to earn an income. Or I forwent the short-term benefit and comfort of spending my money however I wanted to for the long-term perspective of responsibility and wisdom. There is wisdom in working right now for things not realized until a future time. There's this really interesting little, it's almost like a little within Proverbs that talks about the, the um, that talks about the person, the sluggard, that does not take an intentional stock of what they will want to or need to experience in the future. And so, um, Turn over to Proverbs 24. It's a really interesting little, uh, it's just four verses. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. It's kind of this first person story. And it goes like this. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 30. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. This is a really interesting little point in Proverbs. You don't see this anywhere else. First person, he says, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you 
like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now, we're not talking about the person who decides that, you know, I've been working like a dog for the last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, I'm gonna take a day of rest. In fact, we're, that is um, as holy of a task as working hard, right? Is the, not just the, the action of resting, but the ability to rest, okay? We're not talking about the person that just takes a day of rest, all right? We're talking about, we're talking about the lazy person who has no, no, no um, understanding that when life is left unattended, when, when life is left to just um, wander its way, right, that it produces scarcity and poverty. You know, this seems to be a theme um, in my ministry and in life in the last week, and so maybe it's for you or maybe it's not, but listen, um, very rarely, I won't even say very rarely, never, all right, never will you wander unintentionally into long-term reward and blessing. The only place that you wander unintentionally without direction is to scarcity and poverty. You, you, might, you, might, think about it, you might think about it this way. Um, how easy is it to nickel time your bank account into a negative balance? Right? How easy is it to say at the end of the month, where in the world did all of my money go? I didn't spend it on anything. Until you pull out your bank statement and you see that like two trips to Tim Hortons a day, right? An extra dinner out, right? A pair of shoes you wanted and you didn't spend your money on anything but it's all gone, right? Because we didn't, but when we don't have intentional plans to go in a positive direction, we always go in a negative one. And what Proverbs 24 here is indicating is not that a person just took a day of rest and all of a sudden life overtook everything that they have, but it's painting the picture of one who said, it'll take care of itself, like the weeds will be fine, the stone wall will always stay up, there's no reason for me to be diligent or intentional to think about how this is going to look a year from now, right? It's about a man who didn't have a plan. See, the reality in, like I said, I'm not a farmer, um, but here's like one of the most basic things that I know is that planting and harvesting never happen in the same season. Like we plant in late spring, early summer. We're harvesting now, late summer, early fall. The things that we plant, we almost never harvest in the same season. And this is not just uh, an agricultural metaphor, right? It's not just an agricultural reality, but it's a, a spiritual one too. We see this 
For instance, in the example of the bank account, we see this in the example of our raising our kids, right? The spiritual seeds that we plant in the life of our children are often not fully harvested and ripe until much later in their life. The things that we spend our time on now, we don't always, we don't always get to experience the blessing of harvest. And I, think, I suppose that's a good question for us to consider. Consider the things that you spend your time on now. Consider the way in which you uh, raise your kids or spend your money. Okay? Consider the ways that you save your money. Consider the, consider the ways that you spend your time and your resources. Are you, can you live in peace and confidence that if you were not there or are not there to see those things come to full harvest, that it's still worth the sowing that you're doing now? Would it still be worth it? Or are you living only for a moment of being able, like the short-term comfort of being able to experience the things that you're involved in or spending your money on or investing your resources in or spending your time on? If you never saw any fruit from that, would it still be something worth investing in? That's a serious question about the things that we have and the resources that we use and, and what we spend our time and our money on. Number three and final this morning. Is this how we work is never just a representation of us personally, but about who or what we represent. Listen. <laughs> Listen. Do you follow Jesus? If you follow Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, if Jesus is your Savior, if you would wear a badge that says Christian, right? Do you follow Jesus? Then you should be the most, the most responsible, hardworking, diligent, respectful, considerate, and encouraging employee wherever you work. If you follow Jesus, if you proclaim him as Lord, then there should be no better employee, no greater team player, no one more responsible or hardworking or diligent or respectful or considerate. You should be a you should be an example of a fantastic employee. Does that mean you are like the best at your skill or job? No. Right? Does that mean that you are perfect in every way in the area that you work? No. We're not talking about performance. We're talking about attitude. We're talking about character. We're talking about the environment that you set 
and that, and that the, and the spirit that flows out of you when you are around your boss, when you're around your colleagues, when you are in the marketplace, so you are just dripping with the grace and love of Jesus Christ. So much so, they're like, man, how, they're asking you, how do you, where, where did you train this person that they are such a good employee, right? And, and you're like, look, I, I got trained in the, I got trained in the room of grace. I got trained in the room of forgiveness. I got trained in the room of Jesus in me and through me and over me and in front of me and behind me and beside me. There's nothing good in this thing except Jesus. People should not, people should not be like, oh, I got to work with this guy. It's a sluggard. Right? Like, oh, Jake Staley's on the job today. We're going to get it done. And we're going to have fun doing it. Right? There's this uh, uh, scripture, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 9. It kind of speaks to a little bit of um, this attitude of, like, even how we perceive our own job. I appreciated the way that um, the writer of Proverbs phrased this as one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Do I need to paint a picture of what it means to be slack in your work? Doing the minimum to get by. Working hard only when others are watching you, right? Always having a bad attitude. Never able to meet deadlines or be on time or take responsibility or think into the future or be encouraging or considerate to those. It's kind of just like, oh, I'm going to go to work today, right? The one who is slack in their work is the brother to one who destroys. Not, oh, he's just a lazy employee. Kind of not really, no. Um, it causes destruction. And, and the thing is, is that it may not cause destruction to you personally. Right? But, but understand that we, when we work, we don't just work as ones that are representing myself. but I represent the master of whom I am a slave. I, I represent the Lord of whom I am a servant. And it is the character and nature of my work that reflects not just on me, but on him. On his church. Okay? Okay? I, um, I want to read this. Uh, some of you know that uh, we homeschool our oldest son, Noah. There he is, again, in the sermon. Um, and um, there's this, uh, it was interesting. I was talking to Sherry yesterday about the sermon today. She said, you know, th- we're kind of talking about this 
uh, these principles in, in uh, homeschool this week with Noah. I'm like, oh, well, tell me about it. She's like, when we get home, I'm going to read you a story, Cameron. And so I sat down on the floor, and she sat in a rocking chair in front of the fire, right? And uh, she read me, read, me this, uh, read me this story, and I'm going to read this story uh, to, close, to close us out um, this morning. It's um, from a book that we are using with uh, Noah about character development and integrity, Okay. It's called The Blacksmith's Chain. It's kind of short. So, The Blacksmith's Chain. Why, Peter? Still at work on that same great chain. What a slow fellow you are. There's no need to take such pains over creating every link. Hurry up, man. Get on to something else. The old blacksmith smiled at the mocking faces around the smithy door and shook his head as he carefully examined the last link in the chain. Did it ring sound? Was it absolutely flawless? That was his question. Link by link, the chain grew until at last it was complete. Men came and carried away the huge chain and put it on board a ship where it lay unnoticed and unused for a long time. But one dark and wintry night, a storm arose. The captain, looking anxiously into the darkness, said, to himself, we are in for a gale. And even as he watched, the storm broke upon them with all its fury, whipping up the waves and making the ship leap and quiver. On through the pitch dark night she toiled, with three men at the helm to guide her. But at last their task grew hopeless, and the captain's voice was heard above the wind, commanding the men to let down the anchor. The great chain had a work to do at last. Down it sank through the boiling waves until the anchor at last touched bottom. Will it hold? The sailors wondered as they felt the ship quiver under each fresh shock of wind and waves. Will it hold? Just one imperfect link and the chain would snap. One little flaw and the link would surely break. The ship with her precious cargo would strike some rock in the darkness and sink. But the anchor held... The chain was like a solid band of iron because every link was perfect and the ship was saved. One old man's faithful work had saved many lives that stormy night. You and I, as servants of the King of Kings, are called to work faithfully at school, at play, at home, however small 
the task may seem. And let us remember, let us remember that we can never measure the far-reaching harm of unfaithful work, nor the blessing that comes from jobs faithfully performed. Let us remember that we can never measure the far-reaching harm of unfaithful work. Nor the blessing that comes from jobs faithfully performed. Your work, the things that you do on a day-to-day basis, day in and day out, they do not, they do not define or give you value. You have value all wrapped up within yourself because God sought sought it fit to create you just as you are. And you do not need to work hard or harder in order to be a person of value and worth or identity. You have it in its fullness because God has given it to you. But let us not think that because we have value that our work is not important. Because the way in which we work defines the measure of faithfulness of the one whom we represent. What we stand for. What we believe about a long-term perspective on avoiding short-term comfort, right, for long-term reward and blessing. There is such a thing as the Christian virtue of hard work. And God calls each and every person, no matter the task, no matter, no matter how menial the task may be of making an individual link for a chain that might just sit forever to do it faithfully and in such an excellent way that we're ensuring that the work that we do brings value to the world and those around us. Let me pray uh, over us and for you as the band Uh, comes back up. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can pick up your word and we can be challenged with it in a uh, very definitive spiritual way. That it calls us into, um, it calls us to conviction.
it calls us to wrestle with truth. Lord, that your Holy Spirit leads, leads us to and reveals the truth of your word to our hearts. Lord, not just as it pertains to salvation, for instance, Lord, but as it pertains to our work. Lord, I pray that as we go to work this week, that we will be reminded of and decide ahead of time to forego the short-term comfort of laziness, to sow, Lord, in a season where we might not see harvest for a while, to represent you, Lord, in a way that honors your church, that honors your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.